0: for the fathers this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come to you, Father, and we recognize as dads, and it's our charge to teach our children what a father is like, so that when they hear of their Father in heaven, they have an accurate picture. Lord, we pray as As men, Lord God, that we would shoulder the responsibility. And Father, we set aside this time just to honor the fathers, those who taught us what we needed to learn. Whether they're with us or or away. Today we remember them and we're reminded, Lord God, and we just ask, Father, that as we come before you and remember all that you have done for us that we would go forward and shine that light so that the world would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We thank you for all the dads, Lord. We just ask your blessing on them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 25. And we'll continue uh, working our way through what is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. uh, Because it takes place on the Mount of Olives. And remember the way we got here. Jesus was standing, he had come to the temple, he had cleansed. You remember he said, this is my house, my house is a house of prayer. He cleansed the temple there. There's a discourse between he and the Pharisees and the scribes and... And they're bringing their charges against him. At the end of which time, Jesus is leaving the temple. And he says, see, your house is left to you desolate. God was leaving the temple. God came, presented himself, was rejected, left. And as he leaves, the disciples are, are kind of blown away at the concept. Lord, what do you mean? You're, you're, the house is desolate. Look at that temple. And Jesus said... Not one stone will be left on another until it's all been torn down. And the disciples asked him two questions. When will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? The word coming, we've talked about a few times, means come and stay. When are you going to set up your kingdom? When is this all going to wrap up? And Jesus gives that answer to his disciples, not the multitudes... On the Mount of Olives. And as we come to, to chapter 25, we're, we're in, a, in, a, in, a, in a group of three parables that all speak of the same concept. And that same concept that we want to consider as we look at this is, is this be ready. Be ready. Over and over and over. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus gives the same exhortation. Be ready. Be ready when your master comes. Be ready for the day that you see him face to face. Be ready for when he calls you home. Be ready. And as we look and as we consider the the questions that the disciples asked, listen, Jesus answered those questions. And we'll just back up so we can remember where we're coming from. In Matthew 24, verse 14. When will you be coming back? The scripture said, In this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. As a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. In verse 29 of chapter 24. He said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Seven year tribulation. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then... The sign the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus said in, in verse 32, Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has ready, has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know summer is near. Verse 36: But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. My Father only, so watch therefore for you, do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Listen, when we go through Matthew chapter 24, it always raises a little bit of confusion as we try to understand what is it that that Jesus is telling us. Keep in mind, He's answering their question of when He's going to return. If you want to read about that return, it's Revelation chapter 19. It's when Jesus Christ returns, His feet touch the ground, He sits on the throne of David, and He rules and reigns for a thousand years. Now whenever we talk about end time events, people always get a little bit confused. So just to try to smooth some of that over, let me give you just a, a little bit of a timeline. What are we looking for in eschatology, in end times? What is it that we see on the horizon the way that I read the scriptures, this is what I see. The next thing on the horizon is the rapture of the church, spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 15 through 18. Upon which, or after which, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there will be the revealing of the pseudo-Christ. You know, you know the Antichrist. A lot of times when we think of the word anti, anti in the Greek does not have the meaning of necessarily against. As much as it has pseudo, in place of. In place of the real Christ. So we have the revealing of the Antichrist. We have at that point a peace treaty with the Middle East. And when's the last time you've seen peace actually work in the Middle East? Been a long time, right? There will be a peace treaty that will be set up in the Middle East. There will be at that point a rebuilding of the temple. Because the next event... On the calendar at the rebuilding of the temple, the next event is the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Daniel chapter 11 and on. And as we look at the abomination of desolation, it occurs in the holy place. And the holy place doesn't exist right now because the temple's not built. So the temple will have to be rebuilt during this time. After the abomination of desolation, I don't want you to be confused about this concept. Once the abomination of desolation occurs, that is the world leader standing himself in the Holy of Holies, pronouncing himself to be God. The Bible says from that day to the day Jesus' feet touch the ground is 1,260 days. Period. From the abomination of desolation, we know when he'll be here. Time, times and a half time, three and a half years, 1260 days. It's it's the most often spoken of period of time in the scriptures throughout the word of God. So we know for sure what's going on at that point. After the abomination of desolation, there will be a holocaust against the nation of Israel and against believers. Yes, there will be those who come to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. The Bible's clear about that as well. There will be such sharp persecution against them. The, the, the attempt to uh, utterly obliterate both they and Israel. Israel being, I'm talking about believing Israel who have received their Messiah. The Lord is going to protect them. Some people believe that protection will take place in, in, a, in a place called Petra. May, next time we go to Israel, hopefully we'll get to swing through Petra and let you have an opportunity to see. It's an amazing place. But at that point, the battle of Armageddon comes. We're going to see the kingdoms of the world gathered together for battle. At that moment, as they're gathered together, headed toward Jerusalem, but they gather in a place called Har the valley under the Mount of Megiddo. We call it Armageddon. And in that valley, the Jezreel Valley, runs for 180 miles. They're going to head toward Jerusalem, at which time Revelation 19 occurs. The sign of the Son of Man is in the heavens. Jesus Christ returns. The final battle is done. It is finished. He sets up His kingdom, at which time you have the judgment of the nations, which we'll read about in Matthew chapter 25. The judgment of the nations where the righteous will enter into the kingdom and the, the, the unrighteous will not. At the, after the judgment of the nations, Satan is going to be chained. He's going to be put in chains in a pit for a thousand years. And then we enter into something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb is that is that wedding feast. The wedding feast where the bridegroom and the bride gather together the bridal party and they celebrate. Now a lot of people think that the marriage supper of the Lamb occurs in heaven after the rapture. Let me tell you why I don't believe that. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we're told that the resurrection of the Old Testament saints will not occur until Jesus Christ puts His feet on the ground. Until Jesus puts His feet on the ground. The Bible tells in Matthew chapter 7 that we all are going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the marriage supper of the Lamb. If we're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I believe, the kingdom is going to be kicked off, if you will, By the marriage supper of the Lamb. The party. When Jesus returns, the church with Him gathers together. The righteous gathers together. The Old Testament, all resurrected in their their glorified bodies. gather together to celebrate the beginning of the millennial reign. For a thousand years by the marriage supper of the Lamb. We can read about that again as I shared with you in Revelation chapter 19. After that, the Bible says Satan is going to be released for a season. And in that season, he's going to go around the nations to deceive. And he's going to to tempt the nations to rise up in rebellion against the Christ. A lot of people ask, why is he going to be released? I can tell you what I believe. I believe Jesus is going to once and for all put an end to the argument that I am a product of my environment. Because for a thousand years, the people of the kingdom will live in perfect, righteous Peace, And the Bible says those who rise up in rebellion against Jesus, the Christ, we, his ambassadors, the Old Testament saints, the martyrs who are all gathered in that place, the Bible says they cannot be counted. There'll be more in number than the sands of the seashore. And as they come against Jesus there in Jerusalem, there's no battle. There simply is the lining up. For the great white throne, where all the living and the dead will stand in judgment before God. Every person who is a part of the great white throne judgment is going to be judged and sentenced to hell. Because if you are the righteous, you have already received eternal life. At that judgment, the great white throne judgment takes place. At the end of which time, Revelation 21, 22 tell us there will be a new heaven and a new earth and we'll all live happily ever after. What happens then? I don't know. But there's only one way to find out. You've got to be there. And as we consider this, this picture, as we consider this, this ideal, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you this is the only timeline that there exists In eschatology. Listen, eschatology or the study of end times is looking at things that haven't happened yet and trying to put it together. But as I read the scripture, Revelation, Daniel, as I look at it, this is how I see the pieces coming together. In light of that, Jesus, when he comes to his disciples, he's going to use words. In in Matthew 24 and 25, he's going to use words that link together times. He's going to say, when or then. He's talking about answering that specific question of the coming of the Son of Man or the second coming of Jesus Christ. But after he relates the second coming, he's going to look at his disciples and he's going to say, but you watch therefore, for you do not know. The hour when your master comes. The charge to Jesus has always been throughout the scriptures to live a life of watchfulness. To be looking for Jesus Christ. To be loving his appearing. That's to be our attitude. Last time we were together, we talked about the attitude of the wicked servant. What was the one thing that marked the wicked servant? He said in his heart, My master delays his coming. The characteristic of the wicked servant is the idea that he is not watchful. You may not agree with my eschatology, but you cannot argue the concept that we as believers are called, are required to live a life of watchfulness. Matthew 24, 25 Throughout Paul's epistles, throughout the New Testament, we are called to live a life of watchfulness. How much different is that from the Old Testament? Who were they watching for? They were watching for Messiah. Did they know when Messiah was going to come? They were to live a life of watchfulness. Daniel the prophet gave them the, 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 the date, actually, that they could mark from. But until that time, they were to live their life in expectancy, looking for the Lord. We are called to live our life in expectancy, looking for the Lord. All the way through. Should the tribulation begin and we enter into a time of of tribulation, we are to live our life watching for the Lord. Period. Every day. So when we look at Matthew chapter 25... We want to we want to recognize how it begins. Let's read Matthew chapter 25. We'll take a look at, at verses 1 1 through 13 together. Or I better get to Matthew instead of Jeremiah. That's not going to work. Matthew 25 begins with this phrase. Then then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins. Who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, No, lest there would not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Be watchful. As we've been looking through this study, one of the things that I've... ...that I've tried to to outline for you... ...is looking at these specific stories. Who is it that Jesus is describing? We see three groups of people. Those who don't watch... ...and those who don't know. Those who don't watch and don't know are unbelievers. They don't care. It doesn't matter. Nothing changes in their life. That's simply those who, who do not have any faith at all. The unbelievers... Spoken of earlier in, uh, in chapter 24. Then we have those who watch and know the day. And we talked about that. How can you watch and know the day? Because from the abomination of desolation to the time Jesus' feet touch the ground is 1,260 days. Period. They know the day. Tribulation saints, those who come to faith during the tribulation period. Then there's a third group those who watch and don't know the day symbolized by the disciples which speaks to the church that don't know the day the time of the church age prior to the rapture or the coming of the Lord so when we look at this scripture in Matthew chapter 25 a lot of times people want to attribute this to the church let me tell you a couple of the problems with that. In the Greek, one of the problems is that word then, because that word then applies to the answering of the question when Jesus Christ will come and put his feet on the ground. It speaks of the time when Jesus Christ returns permanently, not to the time when he meets us in the air, spoken of by Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what we commonly call the rapture. Problem number two the bride's not there, the bride's not mentioned. The bride of Christ is the church. What is mentioned are virgins. Ten virgins. And you find something interesting. I challenge you to study the scriptures and see. Be Bereans. Don't just take my word for it. Go and look. In the book of Revelation we're told of 144,000 that are sealed with the mark of the Holy Spirit that are God's witnesses to an unbelieving world during the tribulation period. Do you know what the Bible calls them? Virgins. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. John the Baptist in John chapter 3, when he was greeted by the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are asking him, are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? Are you all these things? He said, no, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm one of the attendants. John the Baptist symbolizes for us, the Old Testament saints, he's the last prophet. The last one. He said, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the one who celebrates. Here comes the bridegroom. Here he comes to announce the the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look at these virgins and we look at the the ten virgins, there's two things I want you to understand. The picture of time that... (laughs) I know it's happened to me too. It's okay. The picture of time that we're dealing with is the beginning of the tribulation period. And we're taught, or actually, I'm sorry, is the end of the tribulation period when Jesus Christ returns. So the five wise virgins speak of believers that are on the earth when his feet touch the ground. The five unwise are professing believers, but not possessing believers when Jesus Christ returns. It's interesting because when you have an opportunity to do a little bit of study in the ancient manuscripts, there's something you find. Some of the old and ancient manuscripts, not all of them, which is why it's not in our, in our scriptures, they say that they went out to meet the bridegroom and the bride. One of the things that would take place in a marriage ceremony, the bride and the groom would go to the bridegroom's house for the betrothal. And the betrothal would be put together. That's when they would decide how the marriage was, was going to work out, what things were happening, when things were happening. And then the bride was to go to her home and wait there until the bridegroom prepared a place for her. And when the place was ready, he would come and get her. Now after he had come and got her, they would make a call from the middle of the street And they would shout, blowing trumpets, and tell the people, The bridegroom has come, the bridegroom has come. And everyone would rush out to meet them. And they would go to the marriage supper. The marriage supper took place at the bride's home. At the bride's home. That's why I believe that the marriage supper of the Lamb will take place on earth, in His kingdom. It's the bride's home. It's where it's where we are. It's where we live. So as we take a look at this, these are the groups that we're talking about. And as we get a little bit deeper into it, hopefully it just helps get the, the, the idea a little bit more nailed down. we got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. So we're going to jump in and take a look. The Scripture lays out for us, And the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. The picture is simple. Middle Eastern lamp. It's a little lamp that kind of curved like this. In the bottom of that lamp was oil. In the oil would be a wick. I don't believe he's talking about carrying a flask of oil or adding oil. I think it's just oil. Oil in the lamp. Ready to go. The wick in the lamp. Ready to be lit. Ready to be trimmed. Ready to give light. The scripture lays out for us as they bring their lamps. They all have lamps. They're all gathered. They're all together in this place. Listen. They're all gathered together. But it says, now five were wise and five foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps with no oil in it. Listen, whenever we look at, at the pages of Scripture, and we want to understand how to properly divide the Word of God, properly interpret the Word, we try to utilize the same symbols and signs that are throughout the Scripture. Oil always speaks of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The difference between a possessor and a professor is the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. When the disciples were saved in John chapter 20, Jesus said to them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. In Genesis chapter 1, when God said, Let there be light, what happened? There was light, right? Right? So when Jesus said to the disciples, receive you the Holy Spirit, what happened? They received the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to occur on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power and empowers them for ministry. But their salvation occurred in John chapter 20 when Jesus said, receive you the Holy Spirit. That is always symbolized by oil. Whenever a king came for anointing as a king, what did they do? They poured oil over his head. What was the purpose of that? He has become what? God's anointed. Remember David? When he was raised up to be king and he was struggling with Saul, who was not a very good king, didn't follow the Lord. What did David call Saul every single time he met him? My enemy? No, he called them the Lord's anointed. Anointing with the Holy Spirit. The difference between the wise and the foolish is the possession of the guarantee that Paul speaks of, which is the proof of our salvation, which is the Holy Spirit residing in the life of a believer. And when the Holy Spirit resides in a life of a believer, a believer can no longer be satisfied to stay in a a pit of sin. The Bible says, how, how can we who have died to sin live any longer in there? The Holy Spirit, when He comes into our life, what's He do? He convicts us of sin. He convicts us of those issues in our life that we might lay them down and turn and go. That's what the Holy Spirit works. What do you have? A living and dynamic faith. Not just words. The reality. A real living faith. And the book of James tells us, what does a real living faith always have with it? Works. Real Living works from real living faith, which are all fruit of the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is given to you on the day that you give your life to Jesus Christ. On the day that you go to Him and say, I want you more than I want anything else. I want you more than anything. I I, I don't want a great, happy, any this, that, or the other. All I want is you. And so I'm willing to turn aside, turn away, from a life of sin and grab a hold of you for all I'm worth. Hold on to you with both hands. In reality, he holds on to us, doesn't he? Jesus said, I hold you in my hand. And no one can snatch you out of my hand. And my father is mightier than all. He holds you in his hands and no one will snatch you out of his hands. What's that a picture of? There's no getting out belong to him belong to him but the scripture lays out for us in this parable he's saying listen please listen do not deceive yourself a relationship with god is personal it's yours not anybody else's not anybody else's when they heard the cry, the bridegroom's and the bridegroom's coming, it's time for us to go out and meet him. The foolish suddenly realized there's a difference between me and you. And so they say, give me some of your oil. But the reality is the one who has the oil can't give it. It's a gift given from God. So they say, I, I, we can't give you a go to those who sell and buy it. Why haven't you already taken the time to make sure your relationship with God is solid and right? Because now Jesus Christ is returning the heavens, His feet are touching ground and it's too late. That's the parable of the ten virgins. You waited too long. There's an old Hebrew story that says that there are three demons in heaven talking over with the devil how they were going to trip up mankind. And one of them said, I know, I'm just going to make sure to tell them there is no God. And the devil said, well, that's not a bad idea. I mean, you you can try to do that, but I think there's still going to be a lot of people who see him in a variety of other ways, in a variety of other places, you know. The handiwork of the, of the heavens does speak to the existence of God. And the second guy says, well, I got an idea. I got a good idea. Uh, not only will we talk to him about there is no God, I'm going to tell him there is no hell. And the devil said, that's a good idea. You know, you could, you could lay that out for him. There is no God and there is no hell. So, so then they, you know, they're not really understanding or considering the ultimate judgment that, that they're facing. But I think, when people begin to take a look at the world, they're going to understand that there is some concept in every society on the face of the earth that speaks of a heaven and a hell. So I'm not sure that that will be the ultimate. And the third demon said, I know. I'll tell them there's no hurry. You have time. The wicked servant said in his heart, my master delays his coming and he is not ready. As we look at these three parables. And we'll look at the next one next week. As we look at the three parables. Each one deals with a, a different period of time in eschatology. But the message is the same. Be ready. It's too late tomorrow. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. Amen. The Bible says today is a day, now is a time. And we want to be those who possess what that that promise of what God has for us. Have you ever felt like your your relationship, your your, your, your faith is just dry and it's just not going anywhere and, and I don't feel anything and, 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 and I'm, I don't feel empowered to be a witness and I don't feel empowered to, to be who or what God wants me to be then you may need to ask yourself, am I a professor or a possessor? Do I have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit within me to be who God's calling me to be? Am I empowered for service? Am I empowered for faith? Am I empowered for those works? Because listen to what takes place if you're not. The Bible says in verse 10, As they went out to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And what happened? The door was shut. That should, as we've been going through this section of scripture, also remind you of another door that was shut. It says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the the time of the coming of the Son of Man. What happened in the time of Noah? They all got into the ark, and what happened? God shut the door. The day of salvation, the opportunity to not perish in the flood was over when he shut the door. It says here that the the door was shut. And afterward, the others, the other virgins came to him. And they said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he said, assuredly, I say to you, what? I do not know you. You were never mine. You tricked yourself into believing that you had a relationship. But without the Spirit... You are not His. The very first thing God gives us upon salvation is the Holy Spirit. The very first thing that He pours into our life is the Holy Spirit. Now this should not come as a shock to you because we studied this in Matthew chapter 7. If you want to just turn to the left a little bit. Matthew chapter 7. You'll remember this, this scripture as we look at Matthew 7 verse 21. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount... He said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name or cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will say to him, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's a couple of things that I want you to notice in this section of scripture. He says, not just him who says, Lord, Lord, but he who does the will of my father. The, the Bible tells him in, 1 John, in first John, first John, we study first John so that we can know that we have salvation. He says in first John, he lays out for us that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I want you to hold on to that concept. David, when he fell in sin with Bathsheba, when he entered into a time of judgment, when Nathan the prophet came to him and pointed to him and said, David, you are that man. When that was all going on, do you know what God said to him? God said to David, you can look it up for yourself, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, God said, why have you hated me? That's what God said to David in sin why have you hated me we know the pages of scripture tells us David fell on his face repented from, from his sin and, and the Lord restored or held to him his kingdom we see those things happening in, in Psalm chapter 51 so, so we won't go necessarily through those things but I want you to hear the words of God why have you hated me First John he laid out for us if you love me you'll do what You'll keep my commandments. So if we don't keep his commandments. Now before you get too hung up. Jackie man you're getting all works related with me. I'm having a hard time. Hang with me. Hang with me. The word keep means to treasure. Now I'll tell you this. If you treasure the word of God. Then you will do. The word of God. Yes. If you do not treasure it, well, you just don't care about it, right? You ever had a vehicle you didn't treasure? Does it have oil in it? I don't know. Does it have fuel in it? Maybe. Does it have the right fuel? Not really sure. Is the air cleaner dirty? Who cares? Is there dirt? You know, the other day I was going to clean out my truck. You know what I found under the seat? A duck. How did a duck get there? Well, fortunately, it was still winter when I found him. So he hadn't begun to... Nobody's buying that kind of scent, you know, that you hang on your dead duck. (laughs) It's all gutted and clean, but I didn't see him back there. And thankfully, I found him before it got warm like this. Or I would have found him eventually. If we don't treasure, we won't take care of it. Right? Right. If you love the Lord, if you treasure your relationship to Him, you cannot be satisfied living in sin. If you are satisfied living in sin living in a relationship that you know is contrary to God's word you may be a professor and not a possessor do you have oil in the lamp they all look the same they all talk the same but only one had oil in the lamp only one group was ready to When the Lord came, when he called, the Lord said, Depart from me, for I never knew you. In verse 13, he says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. I don't want you to lose sight. Every time that verse is used... You will see the pronouns change and become personal. You. He's speaking directly to the disciples. You. Watch therefore. Listen. I guess what I'm trying to say is. I I want you to see. What people call the doctrine of imminence. The doctrine of imminence means we're to live our life. As though Jesus can return at any time. We are to live our life. As though this is the day I'm going to see him. 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. Tell us. That everyone who has this hope within himself purifies himself even as he is pure. And when we live a life filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we long for Jesus. We long to see him. And that longing, that desire to be in his presence means that it changes the stuff I do. Because I say, today I'm going to see the Lord. Now, sometimes people make a charge against the doctrine of imminence or pre-tribulation rapture. And none of those things, your, your salvation didn't hinge on any of that. But let me say this. When I live looking for Jesus, it changes the way I live my life. It changes what I do. It changes what I say. Sometimes people say, well, you're just an escapist and when life gets hard and things get difficult, you're going to find yourself stumbling and tripping and falling because you had to go through hard times. Let me tell you why I don't ascribe that to an attitude of watchfulness. When I was in the Marine Corps, we always had all kinds of different guys come into the Marine Corps. Sometimes guys come into the Marine Corps and all they can talk about is they cannot wait to be in a fight. You know, I stay away from them. What do you mean? Because guys who talk about it and long for it really have no idea what it's like in it. They think they know. And they feel like when they see it and the fire hits and the blood flies and the mud's going, that that somehow it's all going to work out. Let me tell you something. There's nothing greater in the midst of a firefight, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of battle than to know my commander is coming for me. And when he gets here, I'm going to be doing what he called me to do. If he said, hold this hill, I'm going to be holding this hill until I see him. And when I see him, I'll be relieved because... He will come with reinforcements, and life's going to get a lot better. But until that time, I live my life looking for him, saying that I will be found so doing when my master returns. I'm looking for him. There was a a unit in the Vietnam War that got cut off from their company. Small fighting unit. Five guys. They're cut off, they're out of ammunition, and they're sitting around in a circle. They have no way, don't know how to fight, don't know where to go, don't know what to do. And so they're deciding, you know what, we should just surrender. It's got to be pretty bad for them to start talking about that. But the commander, the commander understood that his guys were going to be going through difficult times. And he said, we've got to get the information to them that they know we're coming. So they flew over the section of jungle where they knew they were, and they wrote out on these sheets, we're coming for you, we're coming for you, we're coming for you. Every sheet that they could find. And they dumped it over that, and some of those notes fell to those guys who had no ammunition, no water, totally cut off. And they fought in that place until the commander got there. And when he came, he said, how did you guys endure? How did you keep going? We just kept saying, today's the day. They're going to come through the bush and everything will be okay. But until that time, we have to fight till he gets here. Don't you see? That's exactly what Jesus Christ is calling us to live our life like. With expectancy, looking for the return of Jesus Christ and occupying until he comes. And when he comes, I want to be found doing what he's asked me to do. I want to be who he's called me to be. I want to have oil Amen. Yes. in my lamp. Yes. Thank you. I want to have the Holy Spirit in my life. I don't want to be a professor. I want to be a possessor. I want to have it. Would you uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel with me? Keep turning left. If you see Daniel, it's a little further. If you see Jeremiah, go right. If you see Genesis, really go right. Ezekiel chapter 37 says "And the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones and he caused me to pass by them all around and behold there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were dry And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. And again he said to me, Prophesy to the bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. Verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked and the sinews and the flesh came over them and the skin covered them and there was there was no breath in them. So he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath came and they lived and stood on their feet. Prophesy over the dry bones. Prophesy to the breath, the breath, the ruach. Ruach, it's, it's this. <sighs> Jesus said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. We're going to have a a time of invitation this morning. And as we have a time of invitation, I'm just, just going to do nice and mellow, guys. I'm just going to lead you in a song. But listen, if today you're one of those dry bones, a professor not a possessor, you're lacking the power and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to make you who you ought to be. I want to encourage you. I'm going to have... Fritz and Joni, come up front. And I just want you, if if the Lord moves, to come on up. And at the end of the song, just like at the end of the parable, the door will be shut. And those who are here will pray with and pray over and we will close out our service. I just invite you to worship with me.